Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Two groups on today's show recommended by previous guest Jerry Hawkins of Bachman Lake Together. Melissa Young with the Dallas Black Dance Theater will join me in the second half of today's show to talk about their dance company, academy, and upcoming performances. We're going to start off with Catholic Charities Dallas. Dave Woodyard is their CEO and president. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much. Uh, another recommendation. That's how we do things here on this show from Jerry Hawkins. And you guys actually contacted me. So uh, excellent to meet you. And I'm glad that you guys contacted me. I know that this organization has been working for a long time across the country, across the world. But I'm not exactly sure what you guys have been doing in Dallas. So let's talk specifically about what you guys are doing. Who are you guys? Wonderful. Well, as you mentioned, we've been doing it a long time, 125 years now here in Dallas. Uh, started with an orphanage with nuns and has evolved to what we do today, which is quite expansive, actually. It's one of our challenges is getting everyone to understand all the things we do. Everything from immigration and legal services to pregnancy and adoption, refugee resettlement. We have food programs, in-kind donation programs, early learning programs, senior services. um, And I'm sure I'm forgetting a few as we talk, but (laughs) Uh, plenty of things. Oh, disaster preparedness management. Uh, we also do financial stability and career services, which is really around helping people to get out of poverty, stay out of poverty through financial literacy training, helping them to establish savings, repair credit reports, and things of that nature. And then, in general, responding to the community needs as they arise. Doing so many things. How does this organization make sure that they're able to stay on top of all these things? A lot of the organizations that I have spoken with. You know, they try and keep it centralized. We're going to do one of the many things that you guys are doing, but somehow you're able to do all these and do it effectively. How are you able to do that? Well, it's a large organization, and we're multifaceted, as you know, and and I think it is a challenge to make sure that the things we do we stay on top of and that we don't try and do everything because we can't be everything to everybody. Sure. And so we realize that. So the lanes we're in, we've been in for a while, and we stay in them and, and continue to best practice and find new ways to challenge ourselves to be better at those different aspects of our mission. And then as well, we keep looking around and saying, well, where are the gaps of need in our community that we can truly serve? And because we're a multi-service agency and we have the foundation built, if you will, it is easier for us actually to take on that next thing because all the infrastructure is already there, all the systems are in place and the supportive community around us uh, to help make sure that the mission goes and grows. Is Catholic Charities always looking to add something to what you guys do? Or is it just something that pops up and you say, we need to tackle this, let's add this to our already very full plate? Yes, is the answer. <laughs> uh, okay. we, we are. We're strategic in our thoughts and our direction to make sure that uh, that we do stay focused. And sometimes we'll find a mission we've been in that has kind of run its, its time and mm-hmm. we'll slowly evolve out of it. Um, but we're strategically thinking about what are those next things that we can do. 
And then also we are responding to the immediate need. So when there was a the West Dallas housing crisis with uh, the landlord and the different things going on with zoning, we were called on by the city to try and help understand what the magnitude of the problem was, to interview the different tenants in that community, and then help to resolve it as well. We were actually awarded money through the Dallas uh, Housing Financial Corporation to then distribute to those tenants to help them move and relocate as things evolve down the road because eventually they have to either own or move on because those homes are not going to be uh, uh, rentable anymore. Is it hard for an organization like yours to phase out certain programs and certain things that you're doing? Because you always want to add, and it seems like a lot of these organizations that I'll interview, they just they want to do this forever. But I think that successful organizations are able to kind of pick and choose where they're going to be effective, and they don't feel bad about maybe shutting something down or phasing something out. How do you do that and do that effectively? Well, I think in Dallas we're really... Uh, blessed in the sense that there are so many good people trying to do so many good things. I mean, I heard a recent number, which I don't know that's true, but it's huge, of 27,000 nonprofits in Dallas and the in Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's I've heard something similar. So, some staggering. crazy number, right? I've always got people to interview. I'll never, I will never run <laughs> out. You will never run it's out of, of things to do. But the point in saying that is, is that there are other people doing things almost in everything that we're doing in some form or fashion. So if we are at a point where for us it's phase down time, there's usually somebody that we can hand off that last aspect of our mm-hmm. mission to or in turn take over somebody that's phasing out and make that a bigger part of our mission by kind of consolidating. Uh, we're really focused these days on collaboration. And as we talk, we may get into that more deeply. But there's a lot of different organizations trying to do good, and I think we all have the similar mindset, or many of us do, of uh, focus on what we do best, um, give other things away if you can, but make it so that we really can have the most uh, deep and effective impact to the community. Since you guys are doing so many things for so many different people, I think it's important to understand the scope of the organization itself. How big is Catholic Charities Dallas? How many how many employees do you have and, and, and people that are helping you to work on all these things? Right. So we have uh, just under 150 full-time equivalents uh, in, on our staff. We're located in four different locations. We have our central service office, which is new to us on uh, Mockingbird, uh, 1421 West Mockingbird. That's where most of the activity happens, but we have locations out in West Dallas and Walton Walker and Singleton area, as well as up in the Santa Clara community with our early childhood learning and then down in Deep Ellum with our senior service center. So Mm. those are kind of the physical sites of us. But then we have a huge volunteer force of, uh, you know, five to 6,000 people that help us on an annual basis, not all of them at the same time, of course, but coming in and out of our world, if you will, through different corporate programs, as well as just individuals wanting to help make a difference. I was going to ask that, and we are going to talk about volunteers and volunteer opportunities coming up later in the program, but I I did want to see five to 6,000 volunteers per year. That's a massive amount. Does that pool largely come from the Catholic churches in the community, or is it a good mix of people that are just doing charitable actions and people from the church? It's really both. Uh, certainly, I think the uh, majority are Catholics because they're drawn by our faith to serve and to welcome the stranger and do good deeds, if you will. And, you know, currently in our, just in the Dallas diocese of nine counties, we estimate about a million three Catholics in the community. So it's a pretty big number. Just in the Dallas area? Just in Dallas, excluding Fort Worth. So wow. there's a separate diocese in Fort Worth, uh, which does great work and wonderful stuff. Um, so just in our diocese of nine counties, really running from Sherman, you know, Oklahoma down to Corsicana, out to Greenville and Commerce. That geographic area is estimated to have around a million three Catholics, many of them unregistered, but nonetheless. 
Uh, Dave Woodyard is the CEO and president of Catholic Charities Dallas. Their website, ccdallas.org. How long have you been with the organization? So I jumped in uh, March 1st of last year, so it's still fairly new for me. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, Dave 2.0. I was in hospitality and service for many years of my career and then ended up uh, in uh, had a, having an opportunity to do this. Very interesting. So you weren't involved with a church in a in this type of function, let's say. That's correct. I, of course, have been a Catholic for years and then um, got involved with the Catholic Foundation, which is the um, funding part, if you will, of the Catholic community around philanthropy and then eventually took on this. Did you see this type of switch in your professional career or was it kind of a a surprise once it was actually available? Well, I would say it wasn't... Um, Directly on my radar, however, I really, once the kids got old enough and were gone and Kathleen and I could kind of turn back to community, Mm. it all seemed to fit. That's when I became a trustee for the Catholic Foundation Then eventually was doing some other things in the community and this opportunity came around and it all seemed to fit. All right, so you've been there for about a year and you mentioned that you have basically a new area of operations, that building on Mockingbird? Yes, so we were renting property up on uh, LBJ and Forest and had an opportunity to uh, relocate in a building that we could purchase and renovate and make our own. It actually is uh, quite a bit bigger than what we had before, so we have room to expand and take on additional services Good. or potentially wraparound services from other nonprofits that may become, may, it may make sense to actually have them as co-partners or tenants in the building, if you will. New leadership, a new building. Are you guys looking to to kind of revamp the organization or expand how you're working or what you're specifically working on? Well, look, the missions have been solid for years, uh, all the different things we're doing, and they continue to do great work. We saw a little over 37,000 folks that we actually helped last year in some form or another um, in all the different areas combined. So the missions were solid, but we needed a new foundation and a platform to serve from, and thus the building came along. Through that process, we did also take on a new brand and and new logo to make sure that we were really communicating with the community in a way that people heard us and it would resonate with them, kind of reintroducing ourselves, if you will. So it's much the same and yet different and and, and certainly with growth in mind to, I mean, let's face it, the poverty in our community is huge. It's staggering. It's growing all over, especially out beyond Dallas when you think about some of the communities that look and feel newer, Collin County in particular. Um, there's a lot of hidden poverty there that people just don't see, and it's largely unaddressed in many parts of our community. You know, there's, there are areas out just outside of Dallas that aren't really a part of Dallas, but they, they still kind of are. So is it hard to stick to the Dallas area and not constantly be branching out and helping a, a larger area all the time? Well, I wouldn't say it's hard not to do that. It's actually a challenge to try and serve the whole area. So The blessing we have is that uh, being a part of the Diocese of Dallas, we have 78 parishes in the nine counties that gives us a bricks and sticks foundation, if you will, to then go out and do seminars or weekend programs or different things where you don't have to have a permanent establishment, if you will, but yet you can still go out and serve or help others to serve through things that we can teach them or, or help them with along the way trying to understand how you guys are, are applying the help that you're able to give. So you have 78 different churches, you said, that are kind of in the network for Dallas. Right. Do you talk to these different churches and just flat out say, what do you guys need right now? What could we really help you guys with? And then help them to organize something for their community? Is that maybe a good way of kind of understanding how you're applying some of the work that you guys are doing in the community? I think it's a reasonable way. However, 
each of the parishes are filled with great people as parishioners, if you will, and they, with their pastors, are constantly trying to do good on their own, if you will. They're not waiting for us to show up, per se. So it's a collaborative effort of them doing work on their own, them taking some of our programs. We reach out to all the parishes and ask for food collections that we can then take in and turn into part of our food program in, in connection with North Texas Food Bank. We collaborate with St. Vincent de Paul, which serves the same diocese in a little different form of volunteerism, um, just to make sure that, again, we're working together and, and side by side and not in different directions. Since you guys are doing so many things, would you say that the organization kind of has a focus? Like you might do 12 different things, but is there one thing that either you do better than anyone else or that really acquires a lot of your focus? I think you really put it under the big umbrella of poverty. How do you fight poverty? And all of these different things that we're addressing fight it in their own form or fashion. So getting immigrants to become citizens in our community, helping people to learn new careers that get them to a living wage as opposed to a minimum wage, um, helping them to bridge the gap with financial assistance when they really hit that rough spot where they had the car had to be repaired and they had to pay rent in the same month. And um, food assistance or other things that we've taken on when a disaster strikes or things of that nature. So all of those things, when you really look at them holistically, they all are contributors or factors in this big word of poverty. And we're fighting, you know, we're doing everything we can to help people fight that battle, um, including uh, a new program we're taking on in, in around the homelessness. So uh, there's just a lot going on in our world, and we're trying to address it in a lot of different ways. I, I do actually want to ask some questions about that new homeless uh, project that you guys are working on. It almost sounds like once a family needs something, they, they'll kind of come into the fold, and then all these other services that you guys are offering and are good at doing, that then they start taking maybe pieces here and there. Is it kind of common for a family to need they need uh, help with food? And then once they start getting help with food, you realize that the reason why they maybe need food is because of a job training problem or they have a problem with transportation. Or is that sort of how things roll? Yeah, you're saying it very well, Nick. It's um, people are in their situation for a multitude of reasons. Right. And so when they walk through our door, um, you know, we, we literally try to be the right call for all in need so that if we can help them. We can at least find out who can. But usually through the different things we do, we can at least get them on that path to a different life in a different way and then connect them with others that can help them even deeper than we might be able to, depending on their specific need and, and uh, situation. Again, working with other groups outside of Catholic Charities exactly. to make sure people really get what they need. Another thing that I have noticed that there's so many organizations, as we've mentioned in Dallas, that are doing great work. They can kind of get the ball rolling and then, oh, there's an expert group at this. And you, and you hand them off and they get really what they need and that propels them to to hopefully not need your help anymore. Exactly. All right. So you mentioned this homeless initiative. Uh, well, right. What, so, are you guys, what are you guys doing there? So we uh, got the call about a year ago um, wondering what we were, as a uh, philanthropy and community were doing around the homelessness problem in our community. And we do a lot, as we've been talking, around poverty, but we literally were not doing anything directly with the homelessness. So we got together with one of our partner friends, Catholic Housing Initiative, who's separate from us, but certainly on the same road. They currently operate around 768 units of low-income housing around Dallas, uh, apartment units of very understated and underknown uh, philanthropy as 768 well. 768 units? Right. Um, wow. Wonderful group. Uh, been around for 30-some years doing wonderful work. 
And uh, we, with uh, their board and their uh, leaders, uh, collaborated to find a property in northwest Dallas that is going, it's a failed retirement community that we were able to purchase at the right price. It had the right zip code, if you will, for some governmental uh, subsidy and housing and vouchers. And we're turning it into a permanent supportive housing complex or center, if you will, for 108 single seniors. So 55 and up single men and women that are currently on the street will have a new home uh, come first quarter of next year. You guys have have a large organization itself, but you're also going to have a lot of contacts within the community. It seems like your organization really lives by the philosophy of work smarter, not harder. Would you say that you guys are very good at optimizing the the availability that you guys have to certain things? You know, I appreciate you saying that. And um, yes, I do think we're very, very good at that. And certainly very focused and keen on getting better and better at it. Um, I think we have a, a duty to all the people that are working with us, giving their time, talent, and treasure, that we are effective and efficient with everything they give, time, talent, or treasure. Yeah. And that we do it in a, in a, as you say, optimizing manner that really gets the goods to those in need. What, I mean, it's almost like I can just kind of pick and choose where we're going to go as far as what to really focus on. Um, Just as far as what you guys are doing with with children in the area, you know, kids are going to need so many different things, whether it's, you know, food and clothing, education, early education, as you mentioned, you guys do. Uh, Where are you guys really focusing your energies to help kids in the Metroplex? So we've been um, running two programs really for quite a long time now that we pioneered. One is what we call Together We Learn, which is a ESL or English as a Second Language program, but it's designed specifically for kids and their parents to learn English together. So we bring them into our centers. We have uh, teachers um, working with the kids in a group and the moms or dads in a separate group, but at the same time. And the beautiful thing about the program is by them learning at the same time and learning together, if you will, yet separately in their groups at the time, then they leave and they go home and they get to kind of practice it together and try the words out and try the sentences out. And it really is something that uh, we found to be very, very effective. Um, We're running that right now in West Dallas as well as down in the Bachman Lake area and hoping to expand that over time, obviously with more resources available to us. Um, So it's what we call the Together We Learn program and it works uh, very, very effectively. We also do early childhood development, if you will, for after-school programs uh, in West Dallas in particular at the Santa Clara campus, if you will, but it's a Cardinal Farrell Community Center. And there we have uh, kids that are coming in after school to further their education, get tutoring, be able to do their homework with people around to help them and further their education and kind of keep them occupied, if you will, during the afternoon in a healthy and helpful way. We at the same center run summer camps for eight weeks in the summer with uh, about 300 kids coming in in the summertime to help them to not slip back because during the summertime they you know if they don't do educational projects or you know something like what we're doing during the summer they're going to slide back anywhere from three to four months of their previous year's education we've got it down when you do this this type of a program the slide is maybe a month if that Hmm. and they start the next year fresh and ready to go you, you mentioned that ESL class. You also mentioned helping people gain citizenship. Has Catholic Charities Dallas always been so involved with the immigrant community, or is that something new to the organization? You know, I can't tell you exactly when it came on, but it has certainly been for uh, two-plus decades that we've been working in the immigrant world. Um, we also re- resettle refugees from overseas as a part of the Office of Refugee Resettlement in the State Department. Mm. 
and working with the United States Conference on Catholic Bishops. So we last year set, resettled about 780 lives, amounted to around 200 and let's call it 300 families. From around the world? Was there any area from in around the world. that you no, guys got I from? No, I mean, it is uh, everywhere from um, the Middle East to Burma to Africa, um, everywhere that you can imagine that people are living and being persecuted and run out of their countries because of horrible situations. And then a little-known fact about these folks is they're living literally in refugee camps, which might be tents and not much more, for years, uh, 10, 12, 15 years before they finally get kind of through the system and chosen as someone that's lucky enough to be resettled to another country, we being one of those countries. Um, So it's been a hot topic on the political front. Uh, The Trump administration has reduced that number down to 45,000 this year being resettled from elsewhere. Our numbers probably won't drop much in who we resettle. I was going to ask if that was going to affect you guys at all. The the change in numbers, I think, has affected smaller organizations where they literally have kind of, to your point earlier, decided it's time for us to get out of the resettlement business. Mm. So by virtue of that, the numbers kind of spread around. And then, ironically enough, some that were headed to Houston aren't headed to Houston right now because Hurricane Harvey. So some of our numbers bumped up because of that. So it's always kind of in flux how it happens and where they come from and when. But uh, we're proud of, of what they do. And the incredible part of that resettlement program is, and I'm always astounded by it, 97% of the people we resettle from overseas are self-sustaining as a family within six months of arriving. Really? Which is an incredible percentage. Uh, is Catholic Charities going to be doing more of this? It just seems the way the world is working right now, more people need help, and specifically getting out of where they're at to get somewhere safe, like the city of Dallas, Texas. So do you guys see doing more of that work in the coming years? We're certainly capable of it. It will always be um, something that's going to be regulated from a governmental sense in regard to how safe and who can come in and when they can come in. But once they are designated to come in, if those numbers grow, we're certainly ready to handle more and help more. And uh, I personally, as well as we as an agency, are certainly focused on welcoming the stranger. And quite honestly, for our country, we have to have immigration. If we don't have growth in immigration, our population will stagnate and shrink. And economically, I think we'll start to go backwards. So it's a huge part of us being successful as a country. And let's face it, we're all a country of immigrants. Um, is it is it largely, for the people that you are helping to either get citizenship or, or just help learn the language, is it largely a Hispanic or Mexican population? Um, you know, it is a mixture, certainly um, from the non-refugee group. So the refugee group is largely not Latin America. It's everywhere else in the world. Um, the immigrant group that we're helping with citizenship and uh, the, the dreamers, if you will, the DACA yeah. kids and things like that, that typically is south of the border. There is some Asian influence, but less so in Texas, much more so of an Asian influence on the West Coast. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. So one of the things that we were going to talk about, and you were actually the one that mentioned it, and I'm glad that you did, was the idea of being third responders. I saw on your website, which once again is ccdallas.org, that you're doing a lot to help uh, Hurricane Harvey. Uh, and the people that are affected by Hurricane You're not helping Hurricane Harvey. You're helping right. the people affected by Hurricane Harvey. Um, so I, I do want to talk about third responders, but let's just start with what you are doing for people that have been affected by the hurricanes. Well, right. So um, as the hurricane hit and um, other disasters have hit in our community, um, we've been there to respond as a third responder, um, which really means that as opposed to a first responder, which we all know what is, and a second responder, which is 
way you describe friends and collaborators like Red Cross and others that are showing up that those days right after. Within weeks, though, that they kind of get stabilized. They get to a place where they're not in a shelter, they're in a, an apartment or somewhere that they've been able to relocate to, but their lives are still completely disrupted. Absolutely upside down. Upside down. Their houses have been destroyed or significantly damaged or, or worse. And so our role then is to step in and be the long-term case manager and work with money that's donated to us and to others and to funnel that money and those good resources in the best way possible to those in need or find them the resources that are around us in the community that aren't really coming through us but are around us and we can help them access that and walk with them in that journey back to recovery, if you will, and to, to putting it all back together. It's you know, you think about when you lose everything, and I have friends in Houston that have lost everything. Yeah. Um, it's staggering to think, uh, you know, everything from all your shoes to your clothes to your possessions to your memories, your furniture, I mean, your hat and coat. I mean, just everything is gone. Um, it's staggering to think about all they have to go through to rebuild emotionally, let alone practically. I didn't even think about shoes, but that's a good example of something you would never think about. So as third responders, what are some of the things specifically that you are are doing for people? Because, you know, a lot of times when you think about disaster relief, you know, once they've got a roof over their heads, even if it's temporary uh, and food and water on your own. So but but you guys are specifically working to make sure that people aren't in that position. So what do you guys do as third responders? So we're working with the different insurance agencies and FEMA and other people to, again, help them to access those things. Uh, Some of the money we'll have directly we'll be handing out to help with the um, deductibles on their insurance policies or in many cases, like in the Canton tornadoes um, to the east of us, uh, the majority of the folks affected by that tornado had no insurance at all. So the community's helping them to rebuild. People, again, funds are raised by the different communities, but they don't have the, the organization in place to manage how that's distributed and how that's um, allocated, if you will. So we're working with their guidelines or others to say, okay, who gets what? But somebody still kind of has to administrate that. And that's where our third responder role comes in. Gaining citizenship, getting insurance done, dealing with FEMA. Are you guys experts at dealing with bureaucracy and making sure that the paperwork is done and people know what to fill out and how to stay on top of these things? It can be daunting, to say the least, especially if you're in a, you know, an extreme situation. Right. Well, clearly, we're not the solution to bureaucracy. <laughs> that, <laughs> well, but it does seem like you're be... great at navigating through that, that yeah. you're really good at knowing what, like, you're going to need this form. Exactly. And you need to talk to this person because I, I think that a lot of people are going to get lost and, and find themselves in more of a hole because they're not able to navigate these sometimes complex systems. Right. No, it's a great point to make. And I think that what we're able to do is, to your point, Show them the forms and show them the path and reassure them that there is a path. There is daylight at the end of this tunnel. You don't have to go down this road or that road, but if you do this and then this and understand it's going to be three weeks until the next thing happens, be patient, but this is how it will follow and this is how it will flow. I think at that point then it does give them encouragement and and the confidence to know I'm heading down the right road. Because a lot of it is, I mean, all the emotional toil and then these forms and bureaucracy, as you mentioned, to deal with. It is uh, um, something that can be completely overwhelming, and so that, too, is where we help to try and calm it down and get people to a place of normalcy. Let's talk about volunteers. We mentioned it earlier. Um, Thousands upon thousands of volunteers. So 
maybe asking if there's volunteer opportunities available is kind of a waste of time. But let's let's try and figure out what people could be doing for the organization if they want to start volunteering. Is there anything that you guys are looking for, maybe? Well, certainly, there's always things to be done, um, in, especially when things like the you know Hurricane Harvey occurs. Um, even today, uh, while our chosen role in hurricanes wasn't to be a collector of of goods, if you will, and donations, there was so much outpouring in the community that we ended up having to step into that role and and help others because it was literally overflowing at places like Trusted World and St. Vincent de Paul Thrift Store and other places that are kind of in so that business. So just the idea that people that were taking things, they're like, we're going to have to start throwing stuff out, and so you guys stepped in? So we were able to help out. We um, Through the good folks at AT&T, we're uh, given warehouse space down in Lancaster, and we literally have almost filled a 30,000-square-foot warehouse of goods. Wow. And they're now in the business of redistributing that out. So you guys still have all those goods? We do. We still have a lot of stuff. and But let's face it, the money and the need for the folks affected is going to, again, take a long time. Because even as they're getting back on that road to recovery, their cars were wiped out. They don't have transportation. So even if they kind of get rent-handled or covered, then they're still looking for a job. But then they need clothes. They need this and that. They need food. So... This stuff will all go to good use, um, but there is still a lot of goods to be distributed and sent down to the Gulf Coast and then to help those that have stayed here. There's quite a few folks that were evacuated to Dallas and will likely stay here. You guys have a uh, annual gala coming up, the Bishop's Gala that we wanted to discuss. That's not happening until January 13th, but it's a big, big thing for you guys. Is that your premier event, let's say? That's our uh, that's our uh, annual premier event, exactly. We'll expect around twelve to 1,400 people to come and enjoy the, the Bishop's uh, Gala. It will feature the Doobie Brothers this year, so nice. always great entertainment every year. We had Huey Lewis in the news last year, and who knows we'll be coming next year. But it makes for a fun evening uh Dinner and, and and everything's included. There's an auction item or a live auction as well as a si- silent auction for people to partake in and raise money. We raised about a million three last year, and we're hoping to raise a million five this year. Wow. All going to towards the all the different missions that we serve. Uh, a little early, but are tickets available for that yet? Do you know? They are. They're available online, and uh, we'll have more information going on uh, about that in the coming weeks. All right, so the Bishop's Gala happening January 13th at the Omni, featuring the Doobie Brothers. Right. Um, your website, if you're looking for help and or volunteer opportunities, is ccdallas.org. I've been speaking to Dave Woodyard. He's the CEO and president of Catholic Charities Dallas. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Well, Nick, we appreciate you taking the time to learn more about us and help us to help the community more deeply. Peace be with you. And with you. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.